I want to start by reading a quote by the poet W.E. Henley. And this quote from his poem was very popular as a senior quote, at least when I was graduating high school. So let me read you this as part of the poem. It says, It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. You know, this quote so wonderfully encapsulates the modern mindset, right? In other words, I don't care about the gate. I don't care about heaven and hell. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. In other words, I have the right to decide what's right and wrong for me. And what's important to understand is that this mindset can't understand repentance. And as followers of Jesus, in a modern age, we are very susceptible to this way of thinking. You know, in Lent, we fast in order to let go of those things which prevent us from trusting only in Jesus. And this view of life is one of them. As a local Bronx pastor once said, The sad irony of our day is we can be deeply committed to being a Christian, but not be deeply formed by Christ. In other words, we can do the Christian thing, and yet our hearts are far from God. And in the season of fasting, of fasting and repentance, it matters that we understand what repentance is actually about. You know, as Christians, as Anglicans, we're committed to the Christian way. Every Sunday, we say the confession. In effect, we say sorry to God for the sins we have done. But it's easy to say the confession as a ritual without understanding what we're saying. And without understanding, it's very easy to give an empty apology to God. An empty apology isn't equivalent to repentance. This was God's words to his people through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 29, 13 says, The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. It's possible to go through the religious ceremony, the service, the ritual, and yet have our hearts far from God. You know, repentance is not merely saying religious words. It's not just about saying an empty, I'm sorry. Repentance involves the posture of, the, of your heart. Real repentance requires an honest understanding of who we are and what we have done, and a genuine acceptance of God's grace and love. And so in order to understand real repentance, we're going to first consider what Jesus is saying in our gospel reading, and then derive his teaching from his teaching two actionable steps that form authentic repentance instead of an empty apology to God. And we need to do this because without repentance, you and I are incapable of an honest, authentic relationship with God. And it's so important that we have one. So let's turn to our gospel reading. In the gospel reading today, we have people who had asked Jesus about the terrible things that had happened to the Galileans. There were some Galilean Jewish worshipers 
who were worshiping God. And then it seems that Pilate sent his soldiers to uh, slaughter them. So they were worshiping God and they were killed. And so their question was, did this happen to them because they were somehow worse sinners than most? You know, this is a natural question. When bad things happen, we ask ourselves either explicitly or in our attitudes of our heart, what have I done wrong? Am I being punished? Right? When bad things happen, we wonder, is this some kind of uh, consequence of perhaps even like bad behavior? And yet I've noticed that when good things happen to us, we tend to infer from superior circumstances, superior character. In other words, I work hard, right? I'm an earner. I've earned what I have. This is natural. And so what does Jesus say to the first of the first question? It says in verse 3, Jesus says, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will perish. And so here's something that we learn from Jesus. First, when bad things happen, we're not meant to compare with others, whether we're better or worse people. Jesus says we're all called to repent. But what does repentance involve? Is it simply recognizing my sin and a sincere regret for what I've done and left undone? Is that it? Well, it definitely involves that, but it's more. In his letter to the Romans, St. Paul says this incredible thing. This is chapter 2, verse 4. He says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? In other words, St. Paul says that the content of true repentance isn't merely acknowledging the wrong you do, but recognizing that the good in your life is given uh, to you solely by God, by his love and his grace. And grace is always for the undeserving, or it wouldn't be grace. Therefore, therefore, Paul says, if the good things in your life don't lead you to repentance, to acknowledge that God's grace isn't earned by you, but is a gift, you're treating God's kindness with contempt. So the sin and the good in your life should lead you to rely on the grace of God. It's about recognizing we're sinners saved by grace. This is the essential content of authentic repentance. In fact, this is a central claim in the Christian faith. When Martin Luther, for example, uh, nailed his 95 theses to the church door, do you know what the first thesis is? This is what it is. Let me read it to you. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, Matthew 4, verse 17, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. In other words, all life is repentance. And when John the Baptist was imprisoned and Jesus began his ministry, he summed up his message in Mark 1, 15. It says, the time has come, Jesus said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Or when Jesus sends out his disciples to share his message in Mark chapter 6, verse 12, it says, they went out and preached that people should repent. And after the resurrection, when St. Peter preached his first sermon in Acts chapter 2, and it was so powerful, and everyone responded and they said, well, what should what shall we do? 
Acts chapter 2 says, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And here's the point. There is a sense in which God will not deal with you unless you repent. Right? This comes through in Jesus' answer to the question about the worshippers killed by Pilate during their worship and about the 18 who died when the tower at Siloam fell. And this is his message. And here are the two parts we're going to be exploring. First, we can't repent unless we realize we deserve a tower to fall on us. And two, we can't repent unless we realize God is committed to saving us from what we deserve. In other words, Jesus says repentance is the acceptance of two realities. One, we are sinners and deserve to be cut off from God. And number two, we are so deeply loved by God that he is committed to saving us from what we deserve. We need to accept these two in order to offer genuine repentance. Now, how do we find this in what Jesus is sharing today? Well, we find it when when the people ask Jesus if those who were killed during worship were actually were sinners, and Jesus says no. And this is what he says. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffer this way? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died in the tower in Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. In other words, those in the tower weren't more guilty. We need to repent because we're all guilty. We all deserve the tower of Siloam to fall on us. We all deserve to be cut off from God. We all need to live lives of repentance. And you know, the the truth is that this goes against our cultural assumption. You know, for us modern people, this is very uncomfortable. You know, to us, repentance means to have a vague general sense of guilt, a vague general sense of self-loathing. And so we think, yeah, maybe that's for really bad people, right? Like, yeah, there are maniacs like Putin who deserve towers to fall on them. But most of us, we deserve a good life. Well, it's important to note that Jesus doesn't assume that. As Paul writes, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, know, we can choose to respond, Wow, how toxic! How unprogressive! But I'll tell you something, if you don't believe in the doctrine of sin, how else do you explain the history of the human race and the human experience? You know, it's, it's not enough to ridicule the doctrine of sin. You have to have a better explanation. I mean, what is it about the human heart that guts every economic and pol- political system that we ever put up? And you know, some will say, well, what we need is more education. And yet the history of the 20th century shows that the worst atrocities committed were actually done by some of the most educated people ever. And others will say, well, we need more rights, or we need more technology, or we need more access to pleasure. And we have all these ideas, and we miss the obvious point. 
our true problem is sin. And do you know what sin is? It's found in that high school quote I quoted at the beginning. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Jesus says, if you don't know that deep in your heart is a radical, malignant self-centeredness and sin, if you don't realize that, you're in danger. Because Jesus says, if God has created us, if there is a creator God, we owe him everything. We owe him first place in our lives. But we don't put him in first place. We put all sorts of other things in first place. We put ourselves in first place. And then we have the audacity to say, this creator God owes us a good life. He owes us a comfortable life. And we treat God with an inappropriate indifference. Jesus says, you don't understand your true condition. We all deserve to have towers fall on us. It's a wonder that towers aren't falling on us more often, considering what we owe God, how we treat each other, how we treat God. In other words, we all deserve to be cut off from God. And if you can't handle that, you haven't repented. You may have experienced a vague remorse, but not repented. And so we need to accept this first part in order to have real repentance. But it's not the only part. The other half is so crucially important. And here it is. You and I can't repent unless we realize, unless we understand, unless our heart is melted by the fact that you and I were so loved by God and God is committed to saving us from what we deserve. All right? In other words, we're so deeply loved by God that God is committed to saving us from what we deserve. And we see this in the parable of the fig tree. And this is what Jesus said. Let, let's recap. There is an owner of a tree and he wants to cut it down because it doesn't produce fruit. But the gardener is committed to having the tree flourish. And so let's understand what this parable is saying. In the parable, we are the tree. And the fruit is love for God. It's repentance. Now, who is the gardener? The one who says, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. Who is this? The gardener is Jesus. What Jesus is saying is this. He says, I don't want them to get what they deserve. I want to bring them to repentance. I want to save them from what they deserve. And the question is, how does repentance help us escape what we deserve? Well, I think there's no better example than in the parable of the prodigal son. And if you don't know the story, it goes like this. There's a father and he has two sons, a younger one and an older one. And the younger one uh, demands his inheritance. He wants to leave home. And so the father gives him his inheritance and the son uh, goes away and lives a hedonistic uh, life, you know, misspends all of his money and then ends up poor. And he ends up uh, poor and hungry and even wishing he was eating pig slop. He's just down at the bottom of the social ladder, completely destroyed. And in that broken moment, he remembers his father and his family. And he decides to go back and he says to himself, I'm going to repent for what I've done 
my father can't take me back as a son again. I've done too much. But perhaps he'll take me back as a slave, as a servant. And so the younger son returns home. And off in the distance, his father sees him. He gets up and he runs towards him and he gives him a big hug. And the son uh, repents. He's trying to get his words out. Of, he's, I'm sorry for what he's done. And the father doesn't even really even let him finish. He celebrates him. And he calls out to a servant that says, bring my son uh, a ring. Get, bring him a, the best robe. Let's get a fatted calf and, and let's have a party because my, my youngest son has come back home. Now, when you think about it, logically, this ring, this robe, this fatted calf, it really all belongs to the older brother. Because in order for the younger brother to get his inheritance, the father had to cut the estate in half. So all that remains really is the older brother's inheritance. And the older, older brother knows this and he's really upset when the father uh, is celebrating the young son. He doesn't like it. Now, in that parable, yes, the older son is upset. But I want, I want to point out that Jesus is our older brother. And he is not upset when we return to God. He says, in effect, you know what? I'm going to run the race. I will endure the cross. I will endure the shame. I'm going to pay it all so that when my sisters and my brothers repent, God, you can give them my robe. You can give them my ring. You can celebrate them. This is the love of God. It's welcoming and God's love is committed and desires to restore us. And this needs to be essential to your understanding of repentance. You see, if you just beat yourself up, that's not repentance. That's another form of self-centeredness. So it's not bad news without the good news, right? You can't just beat yourself up. That's just self-loathing. But you can't dodge the bad news either and simply take the good news, you know, say something like, well, of course God forgives me. That's what he does. That's not good either. You have to have both. First, you and I can't repent unless we realize we deserve a tower to fall on us, right? And two, you and I can't repent unless we realize and understand that God loves us and is committed to saving us from what we deserve. And if you put these two realities at the center of your prayer, your confession, right? Your I'm sorry, sorry to God. Your words won't remain mere words. They're going to bring you to the heart of God. That's repentance. So how do we apply this to our lives? Well, when good things happen to you, when good things happen to me, we have to process them intentionally. Right? We have to think about them and inhabit a posture of gratitude. And in fact, we have to say something like this. Wow, this good thing that's happened to me, I don't deserve this. This is God's wonderful grace. I may not have this next week, but you know, I have a place at God's table forever and I can't lose that. This good thing that's happened to me is just the icing. God's love is forever. Thank you, God. Now, the question is, is that the way that you uh, speak to your heart when good things happen to you? Or when good things happen, do you say and feel, well, it's about time? Well, let me tell you something. 
that statement, it's about time, will rob you of your joy and rob God of his glory. Jesus says, only when you repent do you give God credit for the good in your life. And that's building trust in God that you will need in the tough times. Because when the bad comes, when the challenging times come, you will reflect and remember all the good God has given you in the past. And that will be a strong foundation to hope for good things to turn around in the good, uh, to turn around your current situation. You will have a hope that expects good to come. So we have to uh, give thanks to God and all the good things, acknowledge them as sheer grace. Now, I want to end with this. As Jesus is inviting us to repent, don't put it off. Don't delay this. You know, in the parable, when Jesus says, uh, when he's, he says, the gardener says, let's give it another year. Let's give this fig tree another year. What he's saying is, don't put off repenting. Do it now. You might feel it's awkward. It's inconvenient. What will my friends say? What will my family think? But I'm going to tell you, don't delay. Don't, don't treat God like uh, he's some kind of dog. Don't say, well, I want to repent. About a year and a half from now, you know, I'm going to ring my bell and then he can come in and help me. If God, listen, if God's working on you now, you have to say, Lord, I come. I repent. In the parable, we are told that God is not under any obligation to keep fertilizing your heart forever. But here's the hope. This tree should have been cut down long ago. Here is Jesus Christ working to fertilize it. You are a garden. Let Jesus do his work. Come to him in repentance and faith. You know, as our Anglican articles of religion say, we may depart from grace given and fall into sin, and by the grace of God we may rise again and amend our lives. We cannot deny the place of forgiveness to such as truly repent. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for your infinite love for us, always calling us to turn to you, always calling us to repent, to have a renewed relationship with you, God. And Lord, I pray that those things in our life that are preventing us from turning to you, I pray that you remove those and help us to every day put your love at the center of our of our lives, at the center of our decision-making, of our everyday. Help us to put you first for our great good and your greater glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.